Hey sis, welcome back to Girl Good Night. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into this show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. To highlight the accomplishments of women and celebrate Women's History Month, we will be featuring work from female authors for the month of March. Tonight, we will be reading Mary Elizabeth, written by Jesse Redmond Fawcett in 1919. Jesse Fawcett was an editor, poet, essayist, novelist, and educator born in Camden, New Jersey on April 27, 1882. She grew up in Philadelphia and received a scholarship to presumably become the first black female student to attend Cornell University. She received a Bachelor of Arts degree in Classical Languages in 1905 and became a teacher. She began writing for the NAACP magazine, The Crisis, in 1912 and became the literary editor in 1919. Throughout her tenure, Jessie Fawcett wrote poetry, short stories, and four novels. Through her writing, she aimed to portray a true image of African-American life and history by allowing black characters in her writing to be working professionals, which was unheard of for this time period. As an editor, she encouraged others to do the same and introduced the world to authors such as Langston Hughes, Jean Toomer, County Cullen, and Claude McKay. After representing the NAACP at the Pan-African Congress in 1921, she became an honorary member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. In 1926, Fawcett left the crisis to teach high school French in the Bronx. After the death of her husband, she moved back to Philadelphia where she lived until her passing on April 30, 1961. Mary Elizabeth is a short story that was first published in the December 1919 edition of The Crisis Magazine. Mary Elizabeth, the cleaning woman hired by Roger and Sally Pearson, is late for work one day, forcing Mrs. Pearson to do the unimaginable, make breakfast for her husband. The couple, suffering from poor communication, has a disagreement leaving Mrs. Pearson feeling very sad. When Mary Elizabeth arrives, she tells Mrs. Pearson the story of her parents' marriage, which eventually leads the Pearsons to reconcile and reconsider what's most important in their relationship. Now, close your eyes, take a deep breath, and sleep in melanated peace. Mary Elizabeth, Mary Elizabeth was late that morning. As a direct result, Roger left for work without telling me goodbye, and I spent most of the day fighting the headache which always comes if I cry. For I cannot get a breakfast. I can manage a dinner. One just puts the roast in the oven and takes it out again, and I really excel in getting lunch. 
There is a good delicatessen near us and with dainty service and flowers. I get along very nicely. But breakfast? In the first place, it's a meal I neither like nor need. And I never, if I live a thousand years, shall learn to like coffee. I suppose that is why I cannot make it. Roger, I faltered when the awful truth burst upon me and I began to realize that Mary Elizabeth wasn't coming. Roger, couldn't you get breakfast downtown this morning? You know, last time you weren't so satisfied with my coffee. Roger was hostile. I think he had just cut himself shaving. Anyway, he was horrid. No, I can't get my breakfast downtown, he actually snapped at me. Really, Sally, I don't believe there's another woman in the world who would send her husband out on a morning like this on an empty stomach. I don't see how you can be so unfeeling. Well, it wasn't a morning like this, for it was just the beginning of November, and I had only proposed his doing what I knew he would have to do eventually. I didn't say anything more, but started on that breakfast. I don't know why I thought I had to have hot cakes. The breakfast really was awful. The cakes were tough and gummy and got cold one second exactly after I took them off the stove. And the coffee boiled or stewed or scorched or did whatever the particular thing is that coffee shouldn't do. Roger saw that one cake took one mouthful of the dreadful brew and pushed away his cup. It seems to me you might learn to make a decent cup of coffee, he said icily. Then he picked up his hat and flung out of the house. I think it's stupid of me too, not to learn how to make coffee, but really, I'm no worse than Roger is about lots of things. Take 500. Roger knows I love cards, and with the Cheltons right around the corner from us and as fond of it as I am, we could spend many a pleasant evening. But Roger will not learn. Only the night before, after I had gone through a whole hand with him, with his hearts as trumps, I dealt the cards around again to imaginary opponents and we started playing. Clubs were trumps and spades led. Roger, having no spades, played triumphantly a jack of hearts and proceeded to take the trick. But Roger, I protested, you threw off. Well, he said, deeply injured, didn't you say hearts were trumps when you were playing before? And when I tried to explain, he threw down the cards and wanted to know what difference it made. He'd rather play casino anyway. I didn't go out and slam the door but I couldn't help from crying this particular morning. I not only value Roger's good opinion, but I hate to be considered stupid. Mary Elizabeth came in about 11 o'clock. She is a small, wheezing woman, very dark, somewhat wrinkled, and a model of self-possession. I wish I could make you see her or that I could reproduce her accent, not that it's especially colored, Rogers and mine are much more so, but her pronunciation, her way of drawing out her vowels, is so distinctively Mary Elizabethan. I was ashamed of my red eyes and tried to cover up my embarrassment with sternness. Mary Elizabeth, said I, you're late, just as though she didn't know it. 
Yes, I'm Miss Pearson, she said, composedly taking off her coat. She didn't remove her hat. She never does until she has been in the house some two or three hours. I can't imagine why. It is a small, black, dusty affair, trimmed with black ribbon, some dingy white roses, and a sheaf of wheat. I give Mary Elizabeth a dress and hat now and then, but although I recognize the dress from time to time, I never see any change in the hat. I don't know what she does with my ex-millinery. Yes'm, she said again, and looked comprehensively at the untouched breakfast dishes and the awful viands which were still where Roger had left them. Looks as though you'd had to get breakfast yourself, she observed brightly, and went out in the kitchen and ate all those cakes and drank that unspeakable coffee. Really she did, and she didn't warm them up either. I watched her miserably, unable to decide whether Roger was too finicky or Mary Elizabeth a natural-born diplomat. Mr. Gales led me an awful chase last night, she explained. When I got home yesterday evening, my cousin, what keeps house for me, told me Mr. Gales went out in the morning and hadn't come back. Mr. Gales, let me explain, is Mary Elizabeth's second husband, an octogenarian, and the most original person I'm convinced in existence. Yes'm, she went on, eating a final cold hot cake, and I went to look for him, and I had the whole police station out all night hunting him. Look like they was never gonna find him. But I says, just let me look for long and long enough till I find him, I says. And I did. Way out Georgia Avenue with the hat on old Miss Given. Sent to him all the way from Chicago. He's had it 15 years. High silk beaver. I knowed he wasn't going too far with that hat on. I went up to him, sitting by a fence all muddy, holding his hat on with both hands. And I says, look at here, man. You come along with me and let me put you to bed. And he come just a meek. No, me. I know he wasn't going far with old Miss hat on. Who was old Miss? Mary Elizabeth. I asked her. Lady I used to work for in New York, she informed me. Me and Rosie, the cook, lived with her for years. Old Miss was terrible fond of me, though her and Rosie used to quarrel all the time. Just seemed like they couldn't get along. Remember once, Rosie ran after her one Sunday with a knife, and I kept them apart. Reckon Rosie must have been right put out with old Miss that day. By and by, her and Rosie moved to Chicago, and when I married Mr. Gales, she sent him that hat. That old white woman sure did like me. It's so late. Reckon I better put off sweeping till tomorrow, ma'am. I acquiesced, following her about from room to room. This was partly to get away from my own doleful thoughts. Roger really had hurt my feelings, but just as much to hear her talk. At first, I used to not believe all she said, but after I investigated once and found her truthful in one amazing statement, I capitulated. She had been telling me some remarkable tale of her first husband, and I was listening with the stupefied attention to which she always reduces me. Remember she was speaking of her first husband, and I says to him, I says, Mr. Gale, wait a moment, Mary Elizabeth, I interrupted, meanly delighted to have caught her for once. You mean your first husband, don't you? Yes'm, she replied. And I says to him, Mr. Gale, I said, but Mary Elizabeth, I persisted, that's your second husband, isn't it, Mr. Gale? 
she gave me her long drawn. No, me. My first husband was Mr. Gale, and my second husband is Mr. Gales. He spells his name with a Z, I reckon. I ain't never see it writ. As I was saying, I says to Mr. Gale, and it was true. Since then, I have never doubted Mary Elizabeth. She was loquacious that afternoon. She told me about her sister, where it's got a home in the country and where it's got eight children. I used to read Lucy Pratt's stories about little Ephraim or Ezekiel, I forget his name, who always said where's instead of whose, but I never believed it really till I heard Mary Elizabeth use it. For some reason or other, she never mentions her sister without mentioning the home too. My sister where's got a home in the country is her unvarying phrase. Mary Elizabeth, I asked her once, does your sister live in the country? Or does she simply own a house there? Yes, um, she told me. She is fond of her sister. If Mr. Gales was to die, she told me complacently, I'd go live with her. If he should die, I asked her idly, would you marry again? Oh, no, me, she was emphatic. Though I don't know why I shouldn't, I'd come by honest. My father was married four times. That shocked me out of my headache. Four times, Mary Elizabeth, and you had all those stepmothers? My mind refused to take it in. Oh no, me. I always lived with Mama. She was his first wife. I hadn't thought of people in the state in which I had instinctively placed Mary Elizabeth's father and mother as indulging in divorce, but as Roger says slangily, I wouldn't know. Mary Elizabeth took off the dingy hat. You see, Papa and Mama, the ineffable pathos of hearing this woman of 64 with a husband of 80 use those childish terms. Papa and Mama was slaves, you know, Miss Pearson. And so, of course, they wasn't exactly married. White folks wouldn't let them. But they was awfully in love with each other. Her mama tell about it lots of times and how Papa was the handsomest man. Reckon she was long about 16 or 17 then. So they jumped over a broomstick and they was just as happy. But not long after I come along, they sold Papa down south and Mama never seen him no more for years and years. Thought he was dead, so she married again. And he came back to her, Mary Elizabeth? I was overwhelmed with the woefulness of it. Yes, um. after 26 years, me and my sister was got a home in the country. She's really my half-sister, see, Miss Pearson. Her and Mama and my stepfather and me was all down in Bumpus, Virginia, working for some white folks, and we used to live in a little cabin had a front stoop to it. And one day, an old color man come by where had a lot of whiskers. I saw him lots of times there in Bumpus, looking and peering into every color woman's face. And just then, my sister called out, Come here, you Mary Elizabeth. And that old man stopped. And he looked at me, and he looked at me, and he says to me, Child, is your name Mary Elizabeth? You know, Miss Pearson, I thought he was just being fresh, and I ain't paid no attention to him. I ain't said nothing until he spoke to me three or four times. And then I says to him, Go away from here, man. You ain't got no call to be fresh with me. I'm a decent woman. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, an old man like you. 
Mary Elizabeth stopped and looked hard at the back of her poor wrinkled hands. And he says to me, daughter, he says just like that. Daughter, he says, honest I ain't being fresh. Is your name show enough Mary Elizabeth? And I told him, yes sir. Child, he says, where is your daddy? Ain't got no daddy, I told him part like. They done took him away from me 26 years ago. I wasn't but a mite of a baby, sold him down the river. My mother often talks about it. And oh, Miss Pearson, you should have seen the glory come onto his face. Your mother, he says, kind of out of breath. Your mother, Mary Elizabeth, where is your mother? Back there on the stoop, I told him. Why, did you know my daddy? But he didn't pay no attention to me. Just turned and walked up to the stoop where mama was sitting. She was feeling sort of poorly that day, and you ought to see me stepping along after him. He walked right up to her and gave her one look. Oh, Maggie, he shot out. Oh, Maggie, ain't you know me? Maggie, ain't you know me? Mama looked at him and rise up out of her chair. Who are you? She says, kind of trembling, calling me Maggie that away. Who are you? He went up real close to her. Then, Maggie... He said just like that, kind of sad and tender. Maggie, and held out his arms. She walked right into them. Oh, she said, it's Cassius, it's Cassius. It's my husband, come back to me, it's Cassius. They was like two mad people. My sister Minnie and me, we just stood and gawped at them. There they was, holding on to each other like two pitiful children, and he took her hands and kissed them. Maggie, he says, you'll come away with me, won't you? You gonna take me back, Maggie? We'll go away, you and Mary Elizabeth and me, won't we, Maggie? Reckon my mother clean forgot about my stepfather. Yes, Cassius, she says, we'll go away. And then she sees Minnie, and it all comes back to her. Oh, Cassius, she says, I can't go with you. I'm married again, and this time for real. This here gal's mine, and three boys too, another child coming in November. But she went with him, Mary Elizabeth, I pleaded. Surely she went with him after all those years. He really was her husband. I don't know whether Mary Elizabeth was meant to be sarcastic or not. Oh no, me. Mama couldn't have done that. She was a good woman. Her old master what done sold my father down the river brung her up too religious for that. And anyways, Papa was married again too. He had his fourth wife there in Bumpus with them. The unspeakable tragedy of it. I left her and went up to my room and hunted out my dark blue serge dress, which I had meant to wear again that winter. But I had to give Mary Elizabeth something, so I took the dress down to her. She was delighted with it. I could tell she was, because she used her rare and untranslatable expletive. Haitian, she said. My sister was got a home in the country, got a dress look something like this, but it ain't as good. No me. She got hers to wear at a friend's wedding. Gal she was raised up with. That gal married well too, let me tell you. Her husband's a Sunday school superintendent. I told her she needn't wait for Mr. Pearson. I would put a dinner on the table. So off she went in the gathering dusk, trudging bravely back to her Mr. Gales and his high silk hat. I watched her from the window till she was out of sight. 
It had been such a long time since I had thought of slavery. I was born in Pennsylvania, and neither my parents nor grandparents had been slaves. Otherwise, I might have had the same tale to tell as Mary Elizabeth. Or worse yet, Roger and I might have lived in those black days and loved and lost each other and futilely, damnably, met again like Cassius and Maggie. Whereas it was now, and I had Roger and Roger had me. How I loved him as I sat there in the hazy dark. I thought of his dear bronze perfection, his habit of swearing softly in excitement, his blessed stupidity. Just the same, I didn't meet him at the door as usual, but pretended to be busy. He came rushing to me with the Saturday evening post, which is more to me than rubies. I thanked him warmly, but aloofly, if you can get that combination. We ate dinner almost in silence for my part, but he praised everything, the cooking, the table, my appearance. After dinner, we went up to the little sitting room. He hoped I wasn't tired. Couldn't he fix the pillows for me? So, I opened the magazine, and the first thing I saw was a picture of a woman gazing in stony despair at the figure of a man disappearing around the bend of a road. It was too much. Suppose that were Roger and I. I'm afraid I sniffled. He was at my side in a moment. Dear loveliest, don't cry. It was all my fault. You aren't any worse about coffee than I am about cards. And anyway, I needn't have slammed the door. Forgive me, Sally. I always told you I was hard to get along with. I've had a horrible day. Don't stay cross with me, dearest. I held him to me and sobbed outright on his shoulder. It isn't you, Roger, I told him. I'm crying about Mary Elizabeth. I regret to say he let me go then. So great was his dismay. Roger will never be half the diplomat that Mary Elizabeth is. Holy smokes, he groaned. She isn't going to leave us for good, is she? So then I told him about Maggie and Cassius. And oh, Roger, I ended futilely. To think that they had to separate after all those years when he had come back old and with whiskers. I didn't mean to be so banal but I was crying too hard to be coherent. Roger had got up and was walking the floor, but he stopped then aghast. Whiskers, he moaned. My hat, isn't that just like a woman? He had to clear his throat once or twice before he could go on, and I think he wiped his eyes. Wasn't it the, I can't really say what Roger said here, wasn't it the darndest hard look that when he did find her again, she should be married? She might have waited. I stared at him astounded. But Roger, I reminded him, he had married three other times. He didn't wait. Oh, said Roger, unquotable, married three fiddlesticks. He only did that to try to forget her. Then he came over and knelt beside me again. Darling, I do think it is a sensible thing for a poor woman to learn how to cook, but I don't care as long as you love me and we're together. Dear loveliest, if I had been Cassius, he caught my hands so tight he hurt them, and I had married 50 times and had come back and found you married to someone else, I'd have killed you. 
killed you. Well, he wasn't logical, but he was certainly convincing. So thus and not otherwise, Mary Elizabeth healed the breach. Are you still up? Girl, good night.